Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Of uh, improving 
lives, uh, contributing to longevity, and what have you. But, you know, uh, in your introduction, it, it, it captured me. You, it says, uh, you say something about the impulse of the gods. And, well, you know, I think that's right on target indeed. Uh, the impulse of the creative mind, uh, the invisible world speaking through us. So I think that's so important. I think we are m moving in that direction a bit slowly because in our uh, in our free enterprise system, I think steals a lot of that creative impulse from us because uh, survival is the name of the game. But I think we are moving more, more strongly in that direction. I, I would agree with you, and uh, I've been in touch with uh, very many people in a wide variety of uh, capacities, uh, some like yourself who are currently uh, on the show and others who uh, are not yet or may soon be, uh, but it seems at this particular point there's a call on the invisible realms for us to be more creative and to tap mm -hmm. into infinite uh, creative power which is the most divine power that we possess and that we can manifest and uh, there's a call for us to exercise it in these uh, times so I'm very excited to be moving in that direction absolutely and we know that the myths and the gods speaking to us in times past is so much responsible for that inner voice that talks to us even now you know in modern times as we know uh Roger Sperry, who was a neurobiologist, uh, he won the Nobel Prize in Physiology in 1981 for his work on split-brain research. And then, of course, we had Julian Jaynes, as you're familiar with his book, yeah. The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. And then, of course, in the spiritual realm, we have Christ consciousness. And when you use the term Christ consciousness, that by no means just indicates uh, Christianity, Christ consciousness is simply a term that means anointed, uh, anointed consciousness. And that's where I believe we reach into the invisible realm, which does indeed exist. I think on a personal level and on a daily basis, we're on the cusp of an evolutionary leap into integrative mind. But like anything else, yeah. we have to open up our channels to it. And that's more or less uh, working at it on a daily basis. That is uh, very true, and uh, I'm, I've also been exploring various ways to uh, integrate uh, the dominant uh, religious impulses of our day and age with uh, some of the older impulses that uh, uh, inform it and feed it uh, so that people can see that uh, the curse of the Tower of Babel, as uh, the myth goes in uh, the biblical accounts, uh, is mm -hmm. that we don't listen to people uh, beyond the superficial and often people are talking about something that is exactly the same thing that you're talking about but they're using mm -hmm. a different vocabulary and for people who are more attuned to an ancient vocabulary uh, they are, they're saying the same things that uh, uh, modern spiritualities are saying but they're saying them a little bit differently so uh, I'm trying to find ways of helping people to listen to each other and that's why putting the myths front and center are so yeah. vital because it opens up the channels to integrative thinking where left brain and right brain can meet and see that the invisible world has much to offer in this in the 21st century that the left brain is not necessarily the dominant 
side of the brain, as so many uh, clinical uh, neurobiologists call it, that it, it is it is necessary, but that it's the uh, spiritual side, the right brain, who we really are, that really needs to take more, play more of an active role in these modern times. That's very true. And I'm very fascinated by your ministry. The more I get to know you, the more uh, curious I become about how your ministry came about and its multifaceted nature. Would you care to share a little bit about that? Well, I would, uh, and thank you for that. Well, it was I, I think when I was in a very early age, maybe the, my early middle 20s, and uh, I became very interested in holistic healing and holistic medicine. And I would watch uh, Dr. Carlton Fredericks. He used to be on on Saturday mornings. Uh, do you remember him? Yeah. Uh, back in the 70s. And he talked about our various nutrients and vitamins and the micronutrients and how they could contribute to healing. And he presented studies and what have you. I found it fascinating. So I've, I've, for myself and my own personal world, I've been supplementing since my early 30s. I'm 67 now. And uh, so there's been so much in terms of discovery since then when it comes to supplementation or orthomolecular medicine, as Dr. Linus Pauling coined the phrase, and reversing and regressing and stopping some uh, of our more dangerous and chronic diseases. Uh, An example of that is chronic inflammation. You know, decades ago when you went to the doctor and you had heart disease, or God forbid, certain forms of cancer, diabetes, or stroke, Alzheimer's disease, kidney failure. Most of the time, your physician would attribute it to, well, you're getting older. It's old age. Or there is maybe an inherited factor in some of these conditions. But we know now that chronic inflammation contributes to many of these diseases across the United States and internationally as well. And what causes chronic inflammation? Well, it's basically these molecules called cytokines, which, for to keep it simple, kind of run out of control, if you will. They run rampant, and they cause an inflammatory environment in the body. So what causes this, uh, this rampant uh, 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 march, if you will, in, in terms of cytokine? Well, basically, it's uh, our, our daily, you know, what we're doing diet-wise – in terms of uh, a sugary diet, a fatty a fatty food, saturated fats, alcohol, smoking, our lifestyle factors contribute to most of the systemic inflammation in our society. Yeah. It's, I think it's interesting that what our doctors in decades past would say, well, you know, you're getting older. Well, now we know, again, through holistic thinking and the wisdom of the hemispheres, which is a term that I've coined and I'm proud of it because I think – that explains most of what we're dealing with when we talk about holistic thinking. We yeah. know that chronic inflammation can contribute to many of these diseases. That That is very true, and uh, I, I like where uh, your ministry is taking you in terms of sharing information in that regard. Um, so we know that also another factor there, which I think at some future date we might talk about, is mitochondrial dysfunction. And, you, you know, the mitochondria is the energy core of the cells. We have found out now through various university studies that uh, uh, L-carnitine along with uh, coenzyme Q- Q10 
can revitalize the energy coiled or the mitochondria, if you will, of the cells and actually contribute to an anti-aging environment. In other words, preserve those cells longer before they die and are allowed to replicate. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, don't have to, you don't have to be, a, 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 you know, a, a, a physicist to understand that if we can preserve the health of our cells longer, when they do replicate, they will replicate a bit healthier as opposed to creating a, an inflammatory or, or, or free radical environment which uh, contributes to just the opposite uh, effect, if you will, which is, again, increased aging. So, you know, it's, it's, it's again, it's taking the what I call the broad-scope view of health, life extension, and longevity. And we can see things that perhaps we've never seen before. And I'm speaking also in, in terms of our uh, clinical physicians. And some are some are very interested in this area, but I think we still lag behind in taking that broad scope view of what really what really causes aging. I think we're getting closer to many of the factors that do. I think chronic inflammation is one of them. Free radical activity is another, which of course one goes hand in hand. Free radical activity causes chronic inflammation, and vice versa. So, what can we do? What are some of the things that we can do health wise? to slow down this process. Well, of course, I think a low glycemic diet, a diet low in simple sugars, a diet low in, in total fat, especially saturated fat, a diet that's low in cholesterol, and we can keep our toxin intake as low as we possibly can, and increased exercise is so vitally important. We know that exercise stimulates a lot of the youthful hormones in our bodies, And uh, we know how endorphins being one of them, and we know how great we feel when we engage in uh, uh, strong physical activity. Uh, Also fish oil, uh, curcumin, which uh, is a constituent of uh, turmeric. Uh, I think there's been like 7,000 studies across the world to show how that can uh, reduce the inflammatory process in the body. And then we have magnesium. Uh, polyphenols from tea, DHEA supplementation has also been shown to, re- shown to reduce uh, cytokine activity in the body. I personally recommend, if you're going to take DHEA, I recommend uh, purchasing Hello? something called... Hello? I'm Hello? here. 7-keto uh, DHEA, which is a, a constituent of that and doesn't increase, increase testosterone in the body. And then we have lignans, which are also are also polyphenols. They come mostly from beans and soy, and they've been shown to reduce inflammation by 30%. So all of these things uh, can contribute to lowering the chronic inflammation in our body and increasing the possibility of living uh, chronic disease-free, if you will. And that's very exciting. And uh, I know since you sent me your book, I've been experimenting with some of the things in there. And uh, some of the things uh, have uh, been successful and others not uh, quite uh, so much yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I'm getting, uh, uh, you know, where my questions are still unanswered is uh, in terms of the, uh, um, like, for instance, uh, a doctor recently recommended that I go on the Mediterranean diet. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm Mediterranean, so this is easy for me. I grew up with the Mediterranean diet. 
Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so when I did, however, incorporate Mediterranean elements into my diet and measured my blood, uh, my blood was actually worse under a Mediterranean-type diet than it was uh, under a high-protein, high-fat diet. So I had to slowly stop uh, being on a Mediterranean diet because it was uh, driving my blood numbers up uh, uh, very high. And uh, when you say blood numbers, could you could you give me an idea of what you're talking about? Are you talking about your sure. lipids specifically? Uh, for instance, when I was recently told I needed to control my sugar again, uh, my numbers were in the mid 300s. So okay. in a very short period of time, I got it into the mid 200s, uh, and right. then uh, I got it down to the hundreds. So okay. And then I started when I got it down there the way I knew how to get it down there, which was through a uh, high fat, including saturated fat, uh, you know, mostly meat uh, diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got the numbers down there. Uh, and then I started, since I knew the numbers were low enough, uh, I started experimenting with different things. So first I started experimenting with the uh, Mediterranean diet, which is what was recommended. And I mm-hmm. found that. The Mediterranean diet shot my numbers up like 100 points and kept That's them like 50 to 100 points higher than they were with the uh, uh, high-protein, high-fat uh, diet, including saturated fats. Mm-hmm. Um, and from the past, when I went on this uh, type of diet, uh, my blood lipids were also within normal range uh, shortly after I incorporated eating more uh, fats. So because of the research you sent me by Dr. Ornish and, uh, and others, um, mm-hmm. I tried incorporating more vegetables uh, into my uh, diet. And mm-hmm. that so far um, hasn't affected the results of the uh, blood sugar. Um, so I'm going to stop the Mediterranean diet because obviously that's not working for me. And I'm going to increase now the amount of vegetables that I consume while on the high meat diet and experiment with that. So you're going with a little bit of the more uh, semi-vegan route along with the meats. Because of the information that you sent me, um, and uh, I've started using non-meat protein sources for like my protein shakes. So most of my protein shakes now are totally uh, non-meat. Uh, They're all uh, plant sources of protein. And, okay, uh, and you, so you've noticed that your blood, uh, your blood sugar levels and your A1C and all now are beginning to stabilize? Uh, I'm noticing that that hasn't had like a dramatic effect in, in terms mm-hmm. of the number. So mm-hmm. I'm... Because of other reasons, I'm trying to consume less uh, animal protein and more uh, uh, plant-based uh, protein. But uh, right. so far, I haven't noticed anything in terms of the, the numbers. And uh, okay. I've also increased the amount of fiber that I'm consuming. And that's helped tremendously in terms of my overall well-being. Uh, I'm trying oh, to I think the, I think the fiber is vitally important. Uh, whether and it be I'm, that you're lo- trying to lower your sugar levels or, or right. your, your lipid levels. Uh, I think, the, and along with colon health, of course, I think the fibers are very, very important. And you would recommend it psyllium. So psyllium and then uh, hemp seed uh, fiber are the two mm-hmm. primary fibers I'm currently using. And as soon as I can find a pectin source, I will experiment with that because you'd recommend it, with, you'd recommend it as well. Well, yeah, well, I have uh, apple pectin and grapefruit pectin 
are okay. two of the, that have been used that have been studied extensively in uh, in research. Heavy research has been done on both. I have noticed through my own experience that apple pectin. When I added four to six capsules of apple pectin per day, my cholesterol dropped almost 25 points. Wow. Uh, so I think apple pectin can be a great benefit when it comes to keeping your lipid numbers in line, along with uh, the psyllium husk, I think is a one-two combination that can be quite effective in keeping the fats in your blood you know, where they need to be. So yes, I believe, in, and grape now, a modified grapefruit pectin is used not so much for lowering lipid levels, lowering sugar levels. That's been shown in university and laboratory studies to slow the growth of certain cancers. So wow. that's been under study for quite a while. But I like apple pectin very much. And it's also been shown, as a matter of fact, to have some anti-tumor properties. But I like to use that along with the psyllium to keep the sugar levels and the fat levels where they need to be in the blood. That's my next uh, area of experimentation with uh, apple pectin. I'm very happy with the results of the psyllium and the um, um, hemp uh, seed uh, uh, fibers. Um, and the hemp seed fiber seems very easy to mix. Uh, in uh, whatever steak I'm having, so I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. happy with that. And I found a uh, a lot of the rice proteins were bothering me. I'm very susceptible to rice uh, because of my diabetes. My so right. rice set off my blood sugar level. A lot of the things in the the vegan uh, proteins would set me off. But I found mm-hmm. a brand, Sun Warrior brand, uh, that, okay. that seemed be absorbed well by my system seems to do well so I've been using that as my basic uh, uh, plant protein and then occasionally experimenting with others that I mix with it uh, with Mm -hmm. mixed results but like you I'm a very uh, um, you know trial and error type of person I will experiment all the time uh, with what I'm doing and see whether it works or not and you've helped me see that sometimes I need to give things a little bit longer uh, to work than I was giving them before I was giving things a month and if they didn't work I dropped them uh, and you suggest that I uh, expand to like two, three months, which I'm now doing. And I'm seeing that uh, some things I didn't think work are giving better results. And some things that I thought worked really well really weren't over time. So uh, thank you for that suggestion. Well, I, I'm, and I thank you for sharing your experiences with me because it's also teaching me some things. With the Mediterranean diet as an example, uh, tell me. Do you think it's because were you consuming grains as part of the Mediterranean Mediterranean diet or pasta? Could that be why you you were disappointed in terms of your blood sugar experiences? Uh, what do you think contributed to uh, your lack of results with the Mediterranean uh, diet? Um, I I personally believe that it was uh, consumption of hummus. Okay. Um, Chickpeas. Okay. Uh, I, that, that's the only thing. I didn't introduce pasta and rice and uh, things like that because I knew those were bad news. Whenever I, whenever right. I introduce those, I always, my blood sugar goes uh, up through the roof. So I didn't even bother. Uh, the real Mediterranean diet, as Mediterraneans practice, it involves a lot of bread. So I didn't bring back bread. What I did was I right. increased my intake of olive oil. Uh, and I started right. consuming uh, olives. I found that mm-hmm. as long as I'm like four or five olives a day, I'm okay. 
If I consume mm-hmm. more than that, it's my blood sugar starts uh, going up. Uh, so right. I started with peas also, which are very highly recommended because, uh, uh, yeah, they're high in protein and they're high in fiber and they're, you know, a lot of things uh, are going for them and they're heavily recommended on the Mediterranean diet. But that's right. when my numbers started going up. When I started introducing things like hummus and uh, and chickpeas uh, to what I was right. eating, uh, I noticed mm-hmm. the blood would go up significantly, sometimes as high as like 40, 50 points. And when I didn't have those things, you know, mm-hmm. like after a couple of days, it went down, you know, to more normal ranges. So I cut right now. I cut out hummus. I come out, cut out the uh, the chickpeas uh, plain also, and right. uh, so I'll see what happens now. Well, that's you know that's that's again that's what uh, utilizing our bicameral mind and all of our life's experiences is all about. And you're 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 a perfect example of that. Here, you've uh, done your research. You've tried certain things. Uh, and again, you know, some of these diets that are presented to us, sometimes we need to modify them. Yes. And sometimes we need to give them a little bit of a longer uh, time to work than we do. And I always say the same thing with supplements. I've had some people tell me glucosamine sulfate with chondroitin within two months, they've experienced un- unbelievable results. I've had other people tell me, well, it's been two or three months, I'm on the product and it doesn't seem to work. So some some of us need to simply stay on these nutrients longer. So, right. you know, linear, linear mind tells us do your research, study the clinical trials, study university trials. What are they telling us? Then creative mind tells us, well, my spirit tells me I may stay on this diet two months. My spirit tells me maybe I need to stay on it six months. So, again, it's a combination integrating both sides of the brain and the uh, it's an it's an exciting science to try to find the best this, uh, areas of life uh, that we uh, should pursue. And you're, right. this is a this is a classic example of it. There, here, what you're sharing with me uh, now in terms of your diet and your uh, experiences. And uh, I appreciate all the work that you've put into exploring these things and then sharing what uh, you've learned because it's like a wealth of information distilled uh, in very few pages. You have a very good uh, gift for uh, summarizing. Well, thank you. You know, I feel like my calling is to present concepts, concepts that I feel may very well contribute in terms of human health to slowing, perhaps in some cases stalling, some of the progression of some of these diseases, concepts that your general physician, even if he's at the top of his game, may not discuss with you. I know I've walked into many physicians' offices over the last 10 years. Nobody ever sat me down and talked to me about chronic inflammation. Nobody ever sat me down and talked to me about the possibility that chronic inflammation might contribute to an accelerated rate of aging. So you know what? I know that's my calling, to put the concepts out there based on whatever research I've done. And then, by all means, each person can take it from there. And uh, it's exciting to me because I think, well, not everybody's doing it, even in our vast medical profession, unless you have a physician who's really up on holistic theory, holistic concepts, and anti-aging practices. That's very true, and uh, I like the fact that uh, you've made your calling into a ministry, 
uh, and uh, that you maintain an open mind. A lot of uh, folks that uh, um, have strong opinions about things, even if they're backed with uh, uh, clinical trials and uh, a lot of research, uh, they remain rigid in their thinking. You've always been very open-minded. Well, I thank you for that. I'm really humbled by that statement, and I do try to go there. I've been a vegan almost 40 years, but as I think, as I said to you on a number of occasions, I don't impress that on any anyone I'm counseling with. By that I mean, I don't. You have to be a vegan to be healthy. First of all, that's not true. (laughs) Secondly, every individual is different, and thirdly, you if you are vegan, you have to be very much aware of your intake of where you're getting your quality protein from, where you're getting your B vitamins from, which is so very important. B12, we know now, can even contribute to the health of cells to the to the extent that it may uh, slow the aging process, vitamin B12. So uh, because I, uh, being a vegan, for the most part, has worked for me. My lipid right. numbers have always been good. They're still excellent at my age. But I by no means uh, force clients or, or, or impel, compel clients, if you will, to become vegan by no means. Everybody is different and everybody needs to experiment a little bit on what might be best for them. So I'm humbled that you would say that that is the path I try to pursue. And, uh, and along with presenting these broad scope concepts that maybe people haven't thought about much. And I, I hope that by the end of this evening, uh, more of the audience will think about chronic inflammation and could it be contributing to accelerated aging in my body and uh, so I'm excited about all of this me too and I'd like to invite you on a few quests Uh, right now we're looking into uh, making uh, video uh, vlogs or little Mm -hmm. short video episodes and uh, my particular quest will focus on some of the areas that you've been uh, speaking about, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm also focused on as well. I'm 61, so uh, you know, I too am in the, the uh, late autumn or early winter of my life. <laughs> yes, we are. So I yes, we are. We get done with those. Sometimes we don't like to face it, but, <laughs> but it's the truth. It's the so truth, yes. I interview you on those uh, as well, so I'll be contacting you about that. And uh, whenever you're ready, uh, we could start uh, doing a monthly show on the bicameral mind because I feel that that's very important, uh, too. Uh, It's not very well uh, understood, and it's been dismissed by scholarship, even though it explains a lot and answers a lot of of questions. So I think it's awesome that uh, uh, we start talking about that as well. I would love to. As a matter of fact, on a future program, I would like – I have a uh, – uh, critical analysis, if you will, of Julian Jaynes and his work that I would love to share with you because I think while his work opened the eyes of many in the community, there is uh, something he left out, something, and uh, it's something we've been talking about, which is the invisible world, which does really truly exist. And so yeah. in a future program, I would very much like to go over that with you and the audience. So we'll we'll launch the new series with that uh, topic. That would be an awesome way to begin that journey. Thank you so much. Uh, I would like to close briefly. I don't know how much time I have. I think I may have sent you a a flyer. I don't know if you uh, looked it over. I 
on a product called IP6. And I would also like uh, on a future program to perhaps uh, introduce some of the members of the audience who may not be familiar with it. I think it's a substance that it's been around for over 20 years. Uh, It was brought to this country by Dr. Shemudin from India, but he works at the University of Maryland. Now he wrote a book about it. Uh, It's a fascinating substance. It's a fascinating topic. And for some reason, if you go on the Internet, you won't find too much in the even the most conventional uh, medical websites. You won't find hardly anything negative that's said about it, except that more research needs to be done. Uh, my problem with all of this is I think more research should have been done a long time ago. And so on a future program, I would like to delve a little bit more deeply into this fascinating substance. It's in whole grains. It's in beans, soy products. And the research was it was actually identified in the year 1855. And Dr. Schmuden uh, did just a, a ton of research on it, as long as – uh, there's been other clinical data as well uh, in a in the medical report in 1993 in cancer letters as an example uh, it was shown to uh, slow the growth of cervical and prostate tumors it uh, does two things it stimulates natural killer cell activity uh, but then it does something else that no other product I'm familiar with does it seems to normalize the signal in abhorrent cells in other words it actually takes a cell and sends a signal to normalize it, to behave as it should behave. So on some future program, I would love to delve more deeply into this product, which is widely available. Uh, um, and uh, I think it would be something that your audience would be fascinated to learn about. Uh, I, I think that there would be. I certainly would be. Um, our journey for today is nearing its close. We have a few more minutes. Is there any last piece of wisdom you'd like to offer to our listeners? Yes, I would I will always say uh, this, that if nothing else, uh, uh, try to explore getting on a, a basic uh, antioxidant program because we know oxidation is still the major ager in human beings and animals, actually. Vitamin A, vitamin C, uh, zinc, garlic, vitamin E. Uh, the carotenoids, get on a basic program, and I think in the long term, uh, people will be pleased with the results and enhance their lives physiologically and otherwise. Thank you, and uh, I started uh, something, and uh, perhaps you'd be interested in it. I could send you an email um, as part of the Order of the Golden Fleece, and you are an Argonaut, so you certainly uh, qualify. Um, the folks that are in the Order are sharing with each other uh, by giving away uh, books and things that no longer are part of their journey, but that they learned from. So this includes everything from exercise equipment to DVDs to books. So I will email you a list of which books and things I'm giving away. And if any one of those uh, appeals to you, I'll mail it to you. Well, that's great. I, I, I appreciate it. I have a lot to give away as well. <laughs> uh, and I'll be glad to do so. Awesome. And, and what we all agreed was whatever the members of the Argonauts uh, don't need or want for themselves, we donate it to local public libraries. Well, that would be great. And uh, I accept the honor gracefully and humbly. Thank you for 
making me one of the Argonauts. I'm I'm thrilled. Thank you. Well, you're sharing your journey, and that's the important thing. You know, we're admitting we're not doctors, we're not health professionals, but we are people who care about health, our own and that of uh, other people, and we're doing what we can to be healthy and to help others be healthy. Uh, so these shows are uh, our forum for sharing our journeys and uh, um, you know, admitting that what we found works for us might not work for everybody, but this is what works right. for us, this is what didn't work for us. Uh, and this way, encourage people to start their own journeys and to discover what works uh, for them. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important to take a creative view to our health yeah. and to our lives in general. And how can people um, tap into your um, your world and what you're doing in it? And how can they order your books? Well, my uh, creative health manual is only $3 a copy. Uh, with it, they'll get absolutely free a laminated, laminated wisdom of the hemispheres chart, which very, in a very basic structure shows the difference between left brain and right brain function and why focusing in on that can be so exciting and beneficial to our lives. And they can send uh, a check or money order for th- only $3 to Bar- Michael Del Rossi, Box 129, Caldwell, New Jersey, and the zip is 070. 07006 and I'll be glad to send them that material and I will I also counsel absolutely free to anyone who wants to send me a description or, or they can even call me uh, 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 I will provide them with my phone number at that time and I will be glad to provide free holistic counseling to anyone who is presented with a problem that they need to deal with Michael, thank you. It's always a pleasure and an honor to be speaking with you. I pray for your friend that uh, she thank may you so much. current challenges, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. It was exciting, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much to you and the family. Okay, same here. Be well, my friend. Thank you, Hercules. Thank you so much. And now we're going to listen to Bone Partorx's Cry Freedom, and then we're back with Ryan Holy and fury and strength. No 
turning back to fairy tales or bloody dreams If we dare not speak our minds The Inquisition has a test for each of us in time And do you trust a creed that claims to set you free By spending half a lifetime begging on your knees Cry Welcome and greetings. Welcome back to Voice of Olympus. I am your host, Hercules Invictus, and we proceed with our optimal wellness episode with Fury and Strength with Ryan Foley. Greetings and welcome, Ryan. Thank you very much for having me back on. How are you this evening? Uh, I'm doing incredibly awesome. How are you? I'm doing really well, really well. I'm glad to hear that. I posted your picture, and I'm sure it's an old picture by now, uh, but you're looking phenomenally awesome uh, with your working out. Well, thank you very much. It, it is uh, something that I've been uh, slowly trying to improve on. 
uh, for your listeners who are just now, uh, if this is your first interview with me uh, that you've been listening to, uh, I've been, I, I would not certainly consider myself a professional bodybuilder by any strength of the imagination. Uh, but so uh, I've been working out since 2014. And, uh, and so it's been a lot of trial and error. Uh, a lot of trial, a, a lot of error, trying to figure out what's, uh, what works for me and for what doesn't. And so this has been a, a wonderful forum for me uh, to come in and talk about something that I'm extremely passionate about. And my hopes tonight is that uh, whatever avenues that this uh, conversation decides uh, to take us, uh, <laughs> that they can come away with, uh, with a little bit of inspiration and, uh, and, and hopefully uh, they can learn from me and, and kind of avoid some of the pitfalls that I've experienced in, in the last five years. Of, of doing bodybuilding. And that is an awesome approach to it. I, I spoke with uh, uh, Michael DeLussi, who was on uh, before you, and it's uh, none of us is a professional in this area. Uh, and although we've developed like a series of best practices that work for us, uh, we're all uh, admitting that this works for us right now, but it might not work for you. But what we're sharing is our journey, and that I consider to be of paramount importance because um, I found throughout my life, uh, and I've been working out since I was a teenager way back when, that things will work for a while until they no longer work, and then you need to find what works now. <laughs> and some things will lead you down a glorious uh, path of uh, achievement and accomplishment, and others will land you uh, in uh, trouble um, you know, and they, they differ from person to person. So there isn't a universal answer, but I think our enthusiasm and our desire to not only experiment, but to share what we're finding uh, is helpful to people uh, because so many people uh, are I looking think... for the magic pill, the, the, the magic system, and it doesn't really exist for long for anybody. You're absolutely correct, and so there's there's a couple of different things that I can unpack for you there, uh, and and one of the first things that uh, that a lot of people are going to experience, uh, it's what I call it's it's the law of diminishing returns, and so basically if you were to start out, let's say you you've never lifted weights before, and you decide that you're going to go through and you start doing uh, just dumbbell curls because I think that's someone uh, anyone understands what a dumbbell yeah. curl is. So, uh, so you want to go through and you want to find uh, – so you go through and you start lifting your weights. And let's say uh, you, you're pretty weak to start, uh, and so you go through and, and you start uh, lifting at a five-pound weight. Uh, and then you go through, and, and as you begin to build these reps and you begin to build this strength, you're going to find that you're going to start to jump up that rack of weights on a fairly, uh, on a fairly fast pace. So you're going to go from the, the fives and then all the way up, and then you'll get to the 25s. And let's say it takes – and I'm just throwing out some arbitrary numbers here. Uh, but so let's say it takes you four weeks to get from the five pounds to the 25 pounds. I wish that I could tell you that you're going to continue to go and, and maintain this, this level of ascendancy, and you're just not. I think you're going to get to a point no. where you're going to find that same four weeks where you went from the fives to the 25s, it may take you four weeks to go from the 40s to the 45s. And so then, yeah, you're right. Then you do have to go through and you have to not necessarily strip down a lot. Of, if your principles are sound, I say you absolutely stick with them. But then what you have to do is you have to find something different to do to mitigate that law of diminishing returns. And so that can mean changing up your exercises. It can mean doing different things uh, and just to, to kind of keep those muscles guessing. And because that guessing 
uh, you're, you're teaching them to do things that they haven't done before, that's going to promote growth. But you're absolutely right, right. in that, that what works for one person is not necessarily going to work for someone else. Uh, there are certain uh, – genetics are certainly a factor. Uh, I wish I could tell you, you – know, because I wish that I could go through and perform the exact same amount of reps and the exact same workouts uh, as one uh, Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger and develop the same amount – the same style of body that he has. It just doesn't work that way because, yeah, everyone is different, and so different people are going to stack their muscles a, a little bit differently. But one of the things that, that really fascinated me whenever I started to get into this is that while that randomness – I mean there are certain universal staples. There are certain rules that you can apply, and it's that science that really fascinated me. I, I think when most people – uh, let me and let me just clarify here. So, but before I'll, sure. I'll circle back around to the to the part that I was talking about. For me, strength training uh, is strength training is the universal exercise because every other sport that anyone participates in, they can all benefit from strength training. Uh, in fact, they've even talked about one of the problems that you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of long distance runners. Uh, they develop these incredibly powerful uh, quadriceps, but then as a result, because they're not lifting weights, their hamstrings are actually a little bit weaker. So what you're getting there is a muscular imbalance, and that muscular imbalance is what can promote injury if you're not careful. So right. by going through and, and then doing that strength training, uh, you're, you're getting a more universal, a, a more well-rounded form of, of exercise, and so your muscles are all generating uh, into this symmetric beauty. It's kind of one of those things where the, the standard go-to is uh, the, the gym meme that we all see on a regular basis is, is talking about never skipping leg day because you'll see the dude bros that go through and, man, they work out their biceps and their shoulders and their chest, but they're neglecting their legs. So they yes. have little chicken legs, and, but, you know, but they've got the big, strong biceps, and it's because everyone hates training legs. Uh, longer and stronger. It's it's the exercise that drains the tank faster, and so it's kind of one of those things that no one ever you know particularly enjoys. Uh, so it's kind of the one that that often gets neglected the most. So what you're looking for is that muscular. You're looking for that muscular balance. You're looking for that symmetry because within that symmetry lies your beauty. And so it doesn't matter what sport that you're practicing. Uh, weight training is going to improve all of it. Be it football, basketball, golf, running, swimming, you, all those exercises benefit from, from weight training. So the question is, what's the difference between weight training and bodybuilding? Uh, for mm -hmm. me personally, I'm trying to go through and I'm trying to build uh, an aesthetic look. And the reason why I do that is because I, I sit behind an office desk for eight hours a day uh, working for a small insurance company, and then I'm sitting at home and I'm writing my books or writing my comics. So I do live, I think, what most would consider to be a, a sedentary lifestyle. So there's no real need for me to go through and have this massive amount of strength. I don't really need to to deadlift 425 pounds in my in my regular daily life. But so I, I'm not going for functional strength. I'm going for more of an aesthetic look which I, I think could be compared almost to professional wrestlers to a certain extent because they, they want to look good or, or the guys that are in the Marvel movies, you know, they want to look good. Right. So bodybuilding with them 
is so that's the difference between bodybuilding and weight training. So if you're if you're going through and you're doing weight training, say you're going through and you're just going to do a, a, a few shoulder exercises because that's it. You just want to get your shoulders big. But again, we're talking about in bodybuilding, you want that symmetry. You want to build those those bolder shoulders. So right. there are three different. So there's three different heads in the shoulder. Uh, just for to throw away all the medical jargon, you've got your front, your middle, and your back. And so if you want to go through, you have to stimulate all three of those heads for the same amount of time, so that way you get a nice symmetrical look. So that's really what bodybuilding is more about, as opposed to functional strength. It's more for building of an aesthetic. So for me, that's that's my exercise routine because that's what I'm attempting to build. And, and you can go through and you can see the difference. Uh, I mean, just a, a quick Google search will show you the difference between uh, a bodybuilder, uh, a, a crossfitter, a, a, a power lifter, you know, something. Uh, those, so those types of, of body types are out there. I just personally find the bodybuilder to be the, the more aesthetically pleasing. Uh, so that's kind of the, that's what I've been going to. And so in order to achieve that look, that's where I loved, man, I, I was absolutely fascinated by diving into the science of how this all works. And I think that's probably the biggest misconception that people have of, of gym goers that are you know, going through and doing all this weight training is uh, they think we're just dumb guys you know, picking up weight and setting it back down. Uh-huh. And really, there's so much of a science to it where it's, okay, so if you do this many reps, and at this, you know, at this amount of weight, you're going to achieve this result. And so to me, that was something that was fascinating to me. So studying that was uh, mentally flexing my brain while at the same time, you know, mentally flexing my muscles. So to me, it was such a well-rounded uh, uh, program uh, for, that, that healed me both physically, emotionally, uh, and, 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 and charged me uh, intellectually. I think that this is something that should be incorporated into uh, high school athletics. I, I think that you know, for your average person who may not be, who may be a, a tad bit fearful of, you know, a competition, uh, say mm-hmm. they, they don't necessarily want to go out and, and compete against another human being. Uh, instead, what they're doing, they're getting physical activity, but they're doing it, but they're competing against themselves. It's kind of like how they, they talk about uh, in, in golf, you're not really it's, – it's you versus the course. And I kind of understand the mentality of that where you're not really wanting to, to challenge another person and, and, and buff up your chest. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's you against the course. With right. you and bodybuilding, it's, it's you against you. It's you against the person that you were yesterday. And that's been my mentality from the, from the beginning is to just be a little better than I was yesterday. And that's a good way to approach uh, not only bodybuilding, but uh, life, that ultimately and eventually we are competing against uh, ourselves and our, uh, we're pushing against uh, not so much poundages, but that our, our conceptions of what our limits are. We're trying to surpass them all the time. You, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of times where we don't quite realize just what we're physically capable of. Uh, and, and I think there are times where if you can go through and you can remove that mental block, uh, sometimes you may realize that you, then you're stronger than you think you were. Uh, I know there was one time where I was doing a bench press and, and I, I loaded a, a certain amount of weight up and I just, I had miscalculated it because I, I had done the math wrong. 
uh, which is, is kind of something it's, it's easy to do whenever you're in the middle right. of whenever your when your body's in the middle of that survival mode. You know, it's sometimes just doing simple math uh, is not it's really hard, your forte. Yeah. yeah. So I went through and and I loaded just a certain amount of weight up, and then I went to lift and I was like, boy, this this feels awfully heavy. And so I went through and lifted it for a certain amount of time. And, and uh, I like the fact that I'm able now to listen to my central nervous system. It's, it's also the fact that uh, I do work out alone, so I don't work with a spotter. So there are times where I have to, I have to be careful. Uh, but, uh, but also at the same time, there's motivation to get that weight lifted because there's no one coming to save me uh, if I can't lift it. Uh, so, uh, so I went through, I put the weight on, and I, so I, I got to what I knew was going to be my last lift. I, I pressed it up and then got up off the bench and then turned around and looked and went, oh, wow, that was, that was a lot more weight than I was anticipating by, you know, by about 20 more pounds. And so it was removing that mental barrier of just, just lift it and don't worry about how much it is. And then you come out and you find yourself able to achieve more than you thought you were. So it, it's, that, it's that breaking down that mental barrier. It's, it's when you're on that cardio machine and your body is screaming for you to stop and just, oh, I, I can't take it. I can't do any more. Well, okay, let, let's just let's get to a round number, and, and then we'll stop. But then somewhere along the way, you dig down deep and right. you find a way to, 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 to move beyond that pain barrier. And, and that's, where, that's where you start to find out what you're really capable of. And, and I don't think you can find that unless you're willing to test those barriers of that pain. And I think we all need to do that from time to time. It's, it's stepping outside that comfort zone and finding what you're really made of. I, I agree with you. And the same thing had happened to me. I was stuck at uh, 300 at the bench press for the longest time. Uh, and I can get up to 298, you know, whatever, 296. <laughs> but I couldn't get past the uh, 300. And then one day I did my math wrong too. Uh, and I found out that I benched uh, that day, uh, through uh, my sets, uh, 330 pounds each time. Uh, That's so awesome. that was established in my brain. I could do it easily. <laughs> but up until that time, the, the number 300, for some reason, was an impenetrable uh, barrier for me. And nothing changed except the fact that I did my math wrong, like you say. Uh, and then I was able to do it. And once I saw that I could do it, then I could do it without uh, that problem existing at all. Well, you know, I hadn't planned on talking about this, so uh, for, for your listeners, I hope that you'll apologize if I get uh, part of the legend wrong, but okay. I, I want to say it was sometime in the 1950s, and I believe his name was Roger Barrister, if I'm remembering this correct, and I, and I think Barrister was from England. Uh, Barrister was the first person to ever break the four-minute mile. And because up until, up until he did it, everyone said it was impossible. They said it couldn't be done, um, and then Barrister did it. And so as a result, and then as soon as he broke it, it was like three months later, someone else came along and broke the, the four-minute barrier. Uh, and then after that, it just continued to spiral. And so now there are thousands upon thousands of people who have broken this, this four minute uh, uh, barrier when it comes to running the mile. And so the, the question that inevitably is asked is, well, what changed? Uh, you know, are we becoming faster? Are we becoming stronger? Are we genetically improving as a species? Uh, but the, the argument is, 
is that once the first person did it, then everyone else said, well, it can be done. Everyone's saying, no, no, it it, it can't be done. It is possible. So you go through, you see this one person has done it, and then you say, okay, well, he did it. I can do it. And so it, it is. It's that power of belief that you go through, and to me, that's one of the strongest things that you can possibly do. And so whenever I try to go through and, and, and talk about bodybuilding, which I, yours is, is without a doubt the largest audience that I get to, to, to talk about this stuff, because I often feel that um, oh, it's, I, I never want to come across as, uh, as, as arrogant or as you know, uh, saying that I'm, I'm better than anyone else because I've gone through and I've done this. Instead, one of the things that I love about talking about this is because it is something I'm, I'm tremendously passionate about. Uh, five right. days a week, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in there for you know, a, a solid hour and a half uh, you know, working out and, and doing my thing, and I, I absolutely love it. And so what I try to explain to people is that I'm, I'm not special. Uh, I'm not an athlete. If anyone who knew me in high school knew that I was, I was not, I was not much of an athlete. I had the head for the game, but I didn't have the athletic ability uh, to to play on Friday nights. And so, uh, I, the the joke is, uh, you know, I've never been much of an athlete. I've always been more of an athletic supporter. Uh, but so, in going through it and saying, you know, I'm not special. I'm I'm not tremendously different from anyone else. And it's kind of one of those things where if I can do it, you can do it. And that's one of the biggest messages that I'd love to get across to people, to, to someone who's maybe out there listening to me tonight. Uh, it's, I, I started from the bottom. You know, I, I started from the bottom, and I learned just through trial and error. Trial and error and a lot of reading, a lot of studying, which is never a bad thing if you're going through and no. uh, you're, you're, you're studying the certain techniques. And, and then, again, what works for you, uh, you treat it like a Chinese buffet if you want to do this, if you want to do that. Uh, without neglecting any any major body parts, so again, trained legs. Everyone hates to train legs, but it's uh, but it's something that has to be done. Uh, but you know, but so by going through and embracing that challenge, it's going to make you a, a stronger, pun intended. Uh, it's it's going to make you a stronger and better person. It's going to improve you uh, on a on a variety of levels. And so that's what I try to explain to people is that if I can do it, it can be done. You can do it too. And so and I think you'd be amazed at the level of of confidence and, and happiness that you get from it. I know there are a lot of people who I see them coming into the gym and they're all, oh, man, it, it, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I'll drag through the gym again. But to me, I, I mean, nine, nine times out of ten, I'm always excited. I'm happy whenever I'm going in there because I, I know, you know, that this is, this is going to be one of the best parts of my day. And um, I know we've talked about this in, in other uh, uh, podcasts, but, but I'll go ahead and, and just reinforce it here. Uh, whenever you go through and you start lifting out, or you start lifting, uh, your your mind goes through this this scenario where your muscles start screaming at you, uh, and so it, it you get to a point where you push past that pain barrier, where you say, hey, the, the body is screaming for you to stop, and then you mentally tell your body, nope, we ain't stopping, and then your brain starts freaking out because it, <laughs> your muscles are screaming. He's like, oh man, he's not stopping. We've got to do something. So your brain begins to release these endorphins, which are basically mm-hmm. uh, an analgesic. It's it's uh, it's designed to mitigate that pain, since obviously you're you're pushing your body through to these incredible levels, and that level of endorphins it's not too different chemically from the from what you get from morphine. 
So it is just uh, they attribute it. Uh, Schwarzenegger referred to it as the pump. Uh, runners refer to it as the runner's high. It's that incredible feeling of euphoria that you get from going through and pushing your body to the limit. And I, and I think doing that on a regular basis is extremely important for people, especially in, in today's society where we have so much of a dependency, uh, dependency on, on drugs and alcohol and trying to find other ways to find happiness. I think if you go through and you get in that gym, uh, man, that's, that's one of the better ways to go through and, and help. And, and, um, and I, can, I can speak to this not personally, but in a, being in the orbit of, of someone um, I, I've had several of my friends, uh, and you know I love them all to death. But I've had more than a few friends that have been suffering from addiction. Uh, it's it's a terrible thing, and so that's always my first go-to uh, whenever they're dealing with something like that. Is we'll come work out with me, you know. It's uh, come do this, and we'll lift some weights, and we'll do some cardio, and we'll feel good, uh, you know. And so to me, that's that's kind of my that's kind of my catch-all. I don't know if necessarily if it works. For, uh, for everyone, but it would certainly be one of the first things that I would recommend if someone out there right now is struggling with addiction, uh, you're, you're almost kind of replacing one addiction for the other. I, I, I hope that that's right. a, a, a healthy thing to do, but I don't think any doctor in the world is going to complain uh, if you say, hey, I, I've gotten into the gym in a big way. I, so to me, if that's a way to improve your life, then it's, it's certainly something that doesn't cost a whole lot of money to, to do and be a part of, and it allows you to improve yourself, again, both you know, physically, mentally, and intellectually. It's, it's, uh, it's really kind of a catch-all. That, that's very true, and I believe very strongly in, you know, basically we're all uh, addictive in one way, so I believe it's uh, very productive and very healthy uh, to find healthy addictions, at least. So if you're going to uh, fall into habitual uh, behavior, uh, that it's something that will benefit you in the short term and in the long term, rather than something that will uh, destroy you in the long term. Absolutely. And it's uh, also one of the things that, so clearly, um, uh, one of the things that, you're, you're constantly uh, uh, analyzing whenever you're going through and you start a workout program, a lot of times is your, is your diet. And so how you're going through and you're changing the way you eat. Uh, I will say that last week uh, I suffered a, a, a small minor injury. Uh, it was kind of the thing. And, and the, the, the oddest thing is I can't tell you what I did. I wish I could tell you where I could, I could rewind the clock and pinpoint and go, yep, this is the moment where I injured my knee. Uh, but I went through and I just I had some strain on uh, on the tendons and the fact that I'm uh, 44 about to turn 45. Uh, once you start to get into that age range, it can be anything. You know, I could have yeah. gotten out of the car, you know, <laughs> the wrong way and, and pivoted. Or so there, there's no telling. It, chances are it wasn't even something related to the gym. Uh, but because I go through and I consume just a massive amount of protein on a, on a daily basis to try to get my protein count uh, the way it's supposed to be. Uh, one of the first things that they do whenever you're in the hospital and you're recovering from, from an injury or a surgery or something like that, one of the first things that they do is they put you on a high-protein diet uh, and because protein is, is what you need in order to heal yourself from these injuries. Right. So, so what I like to joke is that because uh, so on, on Friday I was up at uh, I was up at my office and I was on crutches uh, I was on crutches on uh, on Friday and, and Saturday 
and here I am. It's uh, two days, and I haven't had to need them at all. And I, now I just got to go through it and work in the the Bengay. I smell horrible. I I know uh, because I'm just trying to to get the the soreness out of those muscles from not being able to walk correctly for you know for about two days. So what I did was you know I just I took the day off. I I followed I guess what they call the, the rice protocols, the uh, rest, ice compression, and and elevation. Uh, because I, I had to kind of check my ego at the door and say, okay, take a step back and rest, because if you don't, you could end up injuring yourself worse, and then you're delayed even more. And so mm-hmm. by going through, the, the joke that I like to make is that now I heal basically at the same rate as Wolverine, where it's just, you know, give me a few <laughs> days, and yep, I'll, 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 I'll be back to normal, I promise. Uh, but, and it's because, and uh, I have no doubt, it's because of that massive amount of protein that I'm eating on a fairly regular basis, which will allow me to, to be right back in the swing of things come, uh, come tomorrow. So it, it is one of those things where I just find it to be tremendously beneficial and just simply the fact that I love it. I, I just uh, – I, I never have a bad day at the gym. There are some times where maybe I can't lift the amount of weight that I would like or maybe the pounds aren't coming off the way that I hope they would. But I always say pretty much the same thing before I leave every day and, well, back at it again tomorrow, you know, because it's uh, there, there is no expiration date uh, right. on this. And so um, I, I know that you're in your 60s and you're still doing training, and, and, and that's what I aspire to be. I, I want to be able to, to, to do this for as long as I can, which is extending out my own life, which will allow me to do it even longer uh, because it's just that that joy of of battling against yourself and just trying to be a little bit better than you were yesterday. And that's something that we share. I, I found uh, as I've experimented with different systems, uh, and that five system you share that's been an enormous help in breaking through uh, barriers. Um, but I actually enjoy working out, so it's something that I really enjoy uh, doing uh, for its own sake. So. Uh, uh, I'm no longer looking for like the perfect uh, system. I'm just experimenting with different things. And what I found uh, recently, I, I watched a YouTube video about uh, uh, a lifter. He was fairly well known. I don't recall his name right now, uh, but he found that as he got older, he exercises continuously uh, in, in short 5, 10, 15, 20 minute segments. And that's what I had started gravitating doing. And I found it very productive. I was able to get like a really brief workout um, I, can, I can no longer sustain like an hour and a half, two hours like I used to, but I could do a bunch of short workouts throughout the day and still get the same pump and still, you know, feel a lot of the, of the endorphin rush and so forth uh, that I used to get by doing longer workouts. And uh, my body, which is not as strong as it once was, is able to handle this a lot easier. And, and really, then you're approaching it in the right way. And I can cite two different sources, uh, not directly, mind you, without digging into my notes, but there are two different sources that I've gotten from this uh, that, that have talked about it. One was sent to me by my dad, uh, where my dad was like, hey, you may want to pay attention to this. But then there was also there was an MMA uh, fighter that was on the Joe Rogan podcast. And okay. what he talked about was uh, going 70% and that you should never be sore. Now, I'm not 100% certain on the never be sore part, but basically his mentality was, look, I'm going to go in and I'm going to do five days a week. And if you go in and you do 
three days a week and you kill yourself during those three days and you're so sore on Tuesday and Thursday that you can't work out, so you're defeating the purpose, whereas I'm going in right. for five days, uh, your energy level is going to be higher on, you know, because you're not fatiguing yourself quite so much. Uh, and if you, so if you're putting in three days a week and I'm putting in five days a week, at the end of the year, I've put in a hundred more workouts than you have. So right. really who's, who's doing more of the work. So, and so I do think you're correct. The fact that if you can go through and if you can arrange your schedule to where you can work out in the morning and in the afternoon, uh, but you're, you're limiting the amount that you're doing, get in, get out. Once you're done, you're out, you know, hit the showers and, and go home. So you're not standing around and wasting time. We, we all, time is a precious thing that none of us have enough of. So I, whenever I go into work, I go in to work. Uh, so I, I don't chit chat. I, I, you know, I don't stand around. I, I get my stuff done. So what you're, what you're talking about there is a tried and true method uh, if, if you can arrange your schedule in such a way where you can do that. Uh, so that, that's certainly something that I would extremely you know, recommend to your listeners. The other thing that I think uh, is a common misconception is that bodybuilders are going through and lifting extremely heavy amounts of weight, uh, right. which is actually it's, – it's, that's not always the case. I was reading a story about how Schwarzenegger in his prime uh, – so this is when he was like Mr. Olympia – he would only use 35 pounds uh, on his dumbbell curls, which, you know, seems, you know, for someone who is basically, you know, one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time, you're sitting there going, wow, he was only lifting 35 pounds, but he had such intense mental focus. He could concentrate so much energy in, he was getting more workout with that lesser weight and that surgical form and really dialing in, you know, that bicep to where he could get more work done. So I think that is that common misconception is that you've just got to go through and sling a whole bunch of heavy weight. And I've found that to be, you know, not the case because uh, lifting heavy, especially if you're by yourself, uh, can be scary. If you can't get that weight up, you're more likely to be prone to injury. So to me, and, and again, so going back to, to Schwarzenegger, uh, who is very active on Reddit, surprisingly so for a celebrity, uh, but uh, Arnold talked about how you should try to keep your rep range around 20 reps. And so if the Terminator says we should do 20 reps, I'm doing uh-huh. 20 reps. And so, so that's going through and figuring out, well, how much weight can I do and, and be able to achieve it 20 times? So it's, it's more of a lower weight, but for higher reps, which is going to give you a, a, a larger caloric burn because your muscles are under tension longer which is going to help you burn fat, which is that's something that's, that we all you know, wish that we could get rid of is, is fat. Uh, so by going through and making that approach, and then think about, so if you're working out in the morning and if you're working out in the evening, that first 20 minutes that you're putting in is, is a burst of energy where you're not nearly as fatigued. So, if it, so again, if you can work out twice during the day and I can only work out once, I guarantee you're getting more activity out of those two workouts than I'm getting just out of my one. So it's, but it's, it's the whole thing about, you've got to figure out your time. You've got to figure out how much time you have available. And so this is where, yeah, there is no perfect system for everyone. So you have to go through and you have to develop enough of a gym knowledge to where if someone says, well, do this, 
understand why they're promoting this, you know, this particular routine and then decide how you can adopt it into something that, that works for you. Cause that's, that's really, you've got to find something that works for you. And more importantly, something that you find fun, because if it's fun, then you're going to constantly go back to it on a regular basis. Or you're going to try to find, how can I dial this in? How can I make this a little bit better? How can I do this, you know, to challenge me a little bit more and by doing that, uh, yeah, then you start looking forward to that next day. You find that new exercise. You go, oh, okay, I, I, I want to learn how to do that. Uh, you know, so it, it's finding all those little ways to keep you excited and to keep you motivated uh, that, that as opposed – and you can see it. You can see it on a person's face. When they come through and, man, they, you know, they've got that pump going uh, and they're mm-hmm. excited about their improvements as opposed to the person that's slugging through and you know, they needed their coffee or their pre-workout – yeah, you know, stuff just to get them motivated. Uh, I think that person, that happy person that's excited to be there, uh, I, I think that kind of that kind of energy is infectious. I hope that's what I radiate whenever I'm working out at the gym. And you radiate that here on the podcast as well, and it's greatly appreciated. Uh, and we've come again to the end of uh, today's uh, journey. Uh, before we go, um, I wanted to uh, uh, invite you to uh, some other adventures. Uh, one is uh, as part of our Argonaut initiative, and you are an Argonaut. You are sharing your journey with other people in an effort to you know, help them. Um, we're all looking through our libraries at things that we no longer need or no longer work for us in terms of fitness. And we're offering it first to other Argonauts who may benefit from it. And then if no other organist wants it, we're donating them to uh, um, local libraries. So I have a list of books and uh, exercise equipment and DVDs. So I'll send you a, a personal message or an email. And if you want any of them, I'll mail them to you. Um, and sure, then if you want to get rid of any stuff too, you could do the same. And eventually, you know, we'll get, we'll get that going. Um, and uh, so that is something I'd like to invite you to. Uh, and, uh, um, I must say that I'm greatly motivated by you, by not only your bodybuilding uh, adventures, but uh, by the graphic novels that you've written. They are my favorite mythological graphic uh, novels, and I read them for inspiration. Uh, still to this day, as I do uh, when I watch uh, Peplum or Sword and Sandal movies or Hercules movies, as they're sometimes called, uh, to inspire me and motivate me. So I want to thank you for that, and uh, I'm looking uh, forward thank to Thank you very much for the praise. Well, it's the well, truth. That, that so, sounds fantastic. Okay, fantastic. How can folks access your world, Ryan, and and uh, the, tap into the best doing? way that they can the the best way they can get a hold of me is the promotion that you do on your Facebook page. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that I'm, I'm horrible when it comes to self promotion. Uh, so the, the amount of exposure that you have given me here to your audience, uh, the, the way that you promote uh, me on on the Facebook uh, notifications that you have for for your podcast. That's really the absolute best way for them to get in contact with me. Okay, incredibly awesome. Thank you so very much, uh, Ryan. Uh, I look forward to the next time we speak. I'll look forward to it as well. Okay, we're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra, Cry Freedom, and then we're going to speak with Donald F. Glute, the legendary storyteller. And my board is... There we go.
And our guest is Donald F. Gloop, the legendary storyteller. Greetings, Donald. Welcome back to Voice of Olympus. 
Well, thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm flattered and appreciate it. Um, now, I've been following you on Facebook, and a lot of things have been happening on your end. Before we get to all the new things, uh, I want to let you know that our my local comic book shop sold out of the Creeps magazine with the Machiste story, uh, so I had to order it from uh, Amazon. Uh, so I'm still waiting to read that, but everyone who's seen it has said great things about it. Well, I uh, since then, I've written two more Machiste stories for the Creeps. They haven't been accepted yet. I, I'm pretty sure they will be because we're pretty backlogged. But um, uh, one of them is a direct continuation that gets Machiste out of the predicament that he ended up at the end of the first story. And then the other one I wrote is set in the Old West and has him um, taking on the role of a, of a, a town sheriff to fight a werewolf. So um, I'm keeping awesome. up writing the Matisse stories. Yeah, those are fantastic. It, 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 it depends on, you know, I guess it's because those are so unusual stories for that magazine, it's really going to depend on the, the re, you know, how they're received by the readers, by the fans. So if they like them, then they'll, they'll be more. If they don't like them, I guess then, then they won't be. I think they'll be very well received. And uh, Benito sent over some artwork for Twisted Odyssey, which is coming out in a couple of issues. Uh, did you have anything to do with that story? No, no, I, I've seen that. It's a similar type of story, but um, and I, it wasn't mine. I had nothing to do with that. So it seems that they'll be publishing the uh, uh, Machiste stories because they're doing that uh, a bit. But, uh, you know, what I've seen so far, it, it's uh, phenomenally excellent, and I'm greatly looking forward to reading it. Yeah, well, uh, the, the Benito's artwork is fantastic, and it's perfectly suited for that type of story, you know, or a Conan or a Tarzan or Hercules or anything like that because uh, he's really got that, that John DeSemma type of, um, style, which is so important for those types of stories. It most certainly is, and you are a, a writer of legendary proportions. So, uh, um, whatever you uh, pen uh, will become part of your legend, uh, the entertainment uh, that you've contributed to our lives. So, thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Now, you have a lot going on. I'm, I'm on your uh, Facebook page now. Uh, tell us about Dinosaur Tracks uh, CDs. Well, Dinosaur Tracks, back in the late 80s and early 90s, I and a, uh, an artist friend of mine named Pete Von Schally um, teamed up because we were both, we both used to play in rock and roll bands. And um, we decided, you know, there was a lot of children's music coming out about dinosaurs. There was Barney on television, and we, uh-huh. got, I, I had the opportunity to do a cable TV show called Dinosaur Tracks, and they had a real lame opening stock piece of music they were going to use, and I said, I don't want to use that music on my show, uh, it's embarrassing, so uh, uh-huh. I'm going to write, I want to write my own song and uh, and play it, and I, and I talked to Pete, and I said, look, we we could both come out of musical retirement and since we both play a lot of different instruments, uh, we could do a track-by-track-by-track by track by track song. So we did a, a song called Dinosaur Tracks. And then the producer of that cable show said, you know, I like that so much. If you guys can come up with some more songs, I, I'd like to do some music videos based on those songs. So oh, awesome. 
so I sat down and I wrote eleven, ten more, ten or eleven more songs, and we went and recorded them. And six of them did go, did become music videos. But um, then we decided, well, we got twelve songs. Let's release them as an album, and they, they, it was very well received. And um, and then we did two more. We did dinosaur tracks. Uh, and then dinos- more dinosaur tracks and dinosaur tracks again, but we didn't want to do anything like Barney. We want, we wanted, we had three. We had these goals set out. First of all, we wanted the songs to be fun. We wanted them to uh-huh. have a sense of humor. We wanted them to give some scientific facts that were correct, some paleontologically correct information, and we wanted them to appeal to all ages. So. An adult could play them at a party without being embarrassed, but kids would respond to them, too. The kids would like them. And we did each song in the style of a different era of rock music. So one song might sound like Elvis. One song might sound like The Doors. One song, we combined things. We did one. We combined Bob Dylan with The Birds. And, you know, and we ended up eventually with 36 songs. But they came out on audio cassette. And, you know, we sold out pretty much. Um, and but we never reissued them or anything, and so for decades now they've been in limbo. Uh, nobody has heard them, and people have kept people have kept after me for years. Why don't you put them on on CD? Well, we really didn't know how to do that, and so I put up a little announcement on Facebook that we'd really like to get these out on CD. And a lot of my musical friends from different parts of the country came forward and told us how to do it, and some of them actually did the work for us. So. Um, they're finally coming out on CD um, probably within the next two weeks. Uh, the artwork's all been done. Uh, they've all been digitally remastered, so they sound better than they've ever sounded. And um, we're thinking now of maybe doing a songbook, you know, an illustrated songbook and some T-shirts and things like that. So I think everybody will have a good – again, it depends on how they're received. Uh, people like them will, you know, will take it a little bit further. So that's Dinosaur Tracks. That is oh, awesome. the tracks. The, the word uh-huh. tracks has a double meaning. It has you know the tracks on a record, like the different songs, but it also refers to dinosaur footprints, which we call dinosaur tracks. So it has a double meaning. That is incredibly awesome. Any uh, plans on taking the old TV shows and putting them out as well? I don't know. Some of the songs have been on television shows. Some of them have been in documentaries and videos, and some have even been in movies. So um, we've gotten quite a bit of mileage out of them already. We'll see. You know, it just depends what comes up. When I looked at the uh, the photos of the dinosaur tracks, the the album covers, I guess, or the CD uh, uh, covers, what came to mind was this will probably make a bunch of, a good bunch of children's books or comic books uh, as well. Well, I I would like to do a comic book, but you know they're songs, so they don't really have a narrative story to them. They're um, necessarily some of them do, but but most of them don't. They're just about certain you know certain subjects that relate to things prehistoric. I think the closest we get to a comic book is a songbook and do it in the style of Will Eisner. Like, I don't know if you remember Will Eisner's, uh, uh, and some of his spirit song, spirit stories were, were done like in verse. So you would see the, the, uh, the, the, the text and then 
you know, kind of humorous illustrations to go with it. And Pete is great at, at taking serious things and making, putting kind of a funny spin on them. So he's perfect artist for this. And he did the, the three covers that you saw. Yeah, they look awesome. They go, all the artwork and, is, uh, is Pete. And they uh, um, arouse curiosity. It's like, what is this? <laughs> so they're very effective covers. And you also yeah. have one of your movies, Blood Scarab, recently be re-released. Oh yeah, uh, Blood yeah, Blood Scarab was a movie I I did I think in nineteen excuse me two thousand seven thereabouts, and um, it's, it was a surprise to me. Somebody sent me a link, and there it was on Blu-ray. I didn't even know it had come out on Blu-ray, and um, Dances with Werewolves should be coming out any day now on Blu-ray. Tales of Frankenstein just came out on Blu-ray. And um, wow. so, uh, and then I've got the um, the two. I've got. I was a teenage movie maker. That's being reissued. That that's done. That, that'll be out any day now on DVD. And then a second uh, collection of three documentaries called Doc- Dinosaurs versus Apes, and it has one <laughs> di- documentary called uh, Dinosaur Movies. Uh, Dinosaur Movies. A second one called Hollywood Goes Ape, which is narrated by uh, and hosted by. Um, Bob Burns, and then we have a third one on is a bonus feature called Fossil Hunter, which is about a very famous paleontologist named Edwin H. Colbert, who uh, talks about his life and his discoveries and his work and everything. So that'll be coming out very soon too. Um, I have a lot of things in the works right now. Uh, a lot of things that are reused. I have books, several books coming out. Um, uh, many of which are books I wrote many years ago, which came out many years ago, but are coming out in brand new editions. And um, then there's the Tales of Frankenstein photo book, which is already available on Amazon. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, gosh, it's it just, I've never been this busy. I, I think I'm busier now than I was when I was a young guy. And I've been doing a lot of conventions. I did a Transformers convention a couple of weeks ago in Virginia. Yesterday, I did a local comic book convention. Uh, Saturday after Thanksgiving, I'm doing LostCon, which is a science fiction convention. And we're going to show Tales of Frankenstein there. And then um, I just got invited to a comic book convention next August in um, Connecticut. So um, I've been on the move a lot. Yes, and it's, that's incredibly awesome. It, it is fantastic that uh, uh, some of your older work is uh, coming back and it's uh, reaching a brand new audience and uh, uh, that uh, um, people think so fondly of uh, the things that you've uh, created that, again, as I said before, have enhanced all our lives. Yeah, well, you know, Pete and I were talking about this. We said, you know, the dinosaur tracks – Nobody's heard, the, the songs have not been available for decades, but they're good songs. And um, in fact, I have a, a friend in Las Vegas, an agent friend, who listens to them all the time in his car. In his car, <laughs> and he told me he said, you know, if these songs weren't about dinosaurs, they could be big hits. Some of them could be big hits. Uh, so they're they're all good songs. But we wanted, you know, we're not looking to get rich off of them, but we want the, we worked real hard on them. And they're good songs, and we want people to be able to hear them. And, uh, you know, nobody's listening to cassettes anymore. So, um, and of course, a lot of people aren't listening to CDs anymore either. Well, I, I, I hope people buy the, the CDs, you know. But I think they'll enjoy them, and they'll learn something. And they, um, 
they're they put you in a good mood, you know. They're they're all fun. Uh-huh. They're all fun songs. And uh, I'm sure eventually you'll put them on streaming uh, audio with like MP3s and things like that. Yeah, maybe we we can't do that. But I'm just wondering, these kind you know albums like this aren't really. It's not like where people just I don't know. I'm, I just I think they're more for the collector, the dinosaur collector, or the the, the, the paleontology buff. You know, and they like to have something physical in their hands, and um, you know this way you get the 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 information, the text, the the the, the insert, you get the artwork and everything. And I think people like to have that and put it on their shelves. Yeah, I'm I'm a person who likes having things in hand, like a physical object rather than, you know, like a stream uh, um uh, on like an air a cloud or whatever they call them now. So I'm I'm one of those people. You are uh, talking about uh, paleontologists uh, you list yourself as a paleontologist uh, on your author page on Facebook. What what are you a paleontologist in fact or? Well, I, I don't have a PhD. You know, I, I I don't write research papers. I've written a lot of books on paleontology, and okay. uh, about eight of eight of them have been you know like semi-technical books. And I'm a member of the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology, and. One day a week, I go to the Natural History Museum as a volunteer and work uh, in the Dino Lab as a as a fossil preparator, and they call me a paleontologist there. So, I guess awesome. I am. And uh, I, so I'm working on. Uh, I've been doing that since 2000, and I'm working on dinosaur bones. You know, I get a big chunk of rock, and there's a bone in there, and I got to scrape it away with various primitive tools and. So we get the fossil out of it and see what's inside there. And, you know, it's kind of a thrill because when you think about it, when I'm doing that, my eyes, the eyes looking out of my head, are the first eyes of any kind that have seen that particular bone in maybe 150 million years. Wow. And I'm seeing it for the first time. And that's kind of a, that's kind of a thrill. That is incredibly awesome. That is fantastic. Um, and I'm glad that you found that opportunity. You're talking about the Natural History Museum in New York City? Is what? The Natural History Museum. You're coming in, in a little, you're coming in a little bit distorted, so i got to ask you to repeat a couple of things. Uh, what, okay, sure. what was that again? Uh, you're not talking about the Natural History Museum in New York City because you're on the other side of the country. Is there a Natural History Museum in California? Yeah, this is the natural. It's the official name is the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County. Okay. So that's the name of it. And it, it's used. They use it as a uh, besides a museum. Um, you see it in a lot of movies because you know the movie industry's out here, and they'll have a museum. They'll, they'll they'll get an exterior shot in New York of the American Museum of Natural History, and right. then once they're inside, it's the L.A. Museum. <laughs> That, that is great, um, and you're also associated with a um, a character um, company, one that has people dressed in uh, costumes and uh, that attend different Oh events. yeah, yeah, I, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> As a sideline, I'm the uh-huh. Southern California representative of LV Models and LV Talent, which are two big major um, modeling and talent agencies based in Las Vegas. And um, what I am doing, we're, we're expanding, so it's not just singers and you know, pretty girls and actors and things. We're expanding to 
a, a number of subcategories, including lookalikes, character impersonators, um, char- uh, celebrity impersonators, and even horror hosts. Uh, so, um, you know, sometimes we, have, we, we book for trade shows and conventions and meet and greets, parties, all kinds of events. And sometimes people want to have, you know, Elvis at their event or something, or maybe Batman or Superman or or Svengoolie or somebody like that. And and we're we have this nationwide search out right now for people that might like to people who do these sort of things for hobbies, but now right. can make money at it. You know, and it's it's a it's a astounding to me how few responses we get. I sent out. And I send out personal messages to people I find on Facebook or people I meet at conventions, and they don't. It's like they don't want to make any money. They just they're doing this for fun, putting a lot of hard work, a lot of time, a lot of effort into to what they do, but they don't seem to. Most of them don't seem to want to make. They can make. They could. They can make a nice little living doing this sort of thing. And so, if anybody's out there listening and you fall into the, in those categories. You know, contact me through Facebook or something. Send me your pictures, and um, if they're quality pictures and look like good work, we'll uh, we might put you on our roster. That is awesome. I might send you some pictures because uh, locally here in my town, uh, I'm a member of the Chamber of Commerce, uh, so uh-huh. uh, I help the mayor and the uh, president of the Chamber of Commerce and any uh, politicians. Uh, we do openings for the uh, uh, new businesses coming into Tenafly. Um, so, oh. so that's something I've really enjoyed uh, doing and have thought of uh, expanding. Um, so I do things, you know, locally for the town. So that's something I'd love to try on a different uh, scale and see how it goes. Uh, at this point, yeah, I probably and, you know, old, old man Hercules rather than anything else. But anyway, yeah, and, and we're and we're nationwide. So if you're living in, you know, Idaho or somewhere, and you have an event, just contact us. And sometimes. There's somebody that's not in our roster, but but we can find them. We can. I found some incredible people, actors for. I, I found a, a number of scream queens, well-known scream queens that I that I did, did not know personally, for a convention coming up next year in Houston, Texas, and they're oh, real awesome. real happy with with the the results. So, you know, no matter where you live, um, these events usually you know they they pay a fee, they pay transportation, they pay a their meals and they give give you if it's a convention they also give you a table where you can sit down and sell autograph photos and things you know so um, you can you can make a nice you know, piece of change uh, doing that sort of thing. I have one podcast because my background uh, professionally was in workforce development primarily. Uh, so um, my thing was always if I could find ways of earning a living being who I am <laughs> and that's uh-huh. way out there, then uh, if you have less uh, strange uh, dreams, you could make uh, things come true for you, too. So I want to interview you about this uh, particular one of your ventures on our vocational show, because uh, uh-huh. I'm sure a lot of people would love to find out that uh, there are opportunities to make money. Um, you know, through their hobby, because uh, uh, that's like the ultimate thing. You're doing something you love and you're getting paid for. What could be better in life? Well, you you hit the nail on the head, um, to use a cliche. <laughs> uh, there's nothing better than when what you love to do becomes your day job. 
Right. You know, it, it's a difference in having, you know, most people hate their jobs, and they can't wait until the job ends at the end of the week so they can go home and, you know, relax or watch TV or go to a barbecue or whatever they do. And the kind of work I do, I can't wait until it starts. And the sad part is when it ends, you know. Mm. And it's like playing and getting paid for it. And, uh, right. see, I have no hobbies. Every Everything that you could call a hobby with me, I managed to turn into a business or a career or a sub-career or something. And um, so I don't have any hobbies. But you can take – if you do have hobbies, if it's something you're passionate about, no matter what it is, you can – but, you you know – you can you can turn that into something, but you've got to give it your best effort. You you know you can't yeah. get discouraged and give up if nothing happens or if you get rejected or anything like that. And you got to keep pursuing it. And sooner or later, something could very well click, and suddenly you find yourself doing something you really love and getting paid for it. That is very true. And uh, with guests on the show, we talk about that a lot of times. Most people get up, get um, give up. Uh, after they what they think of as like two or three failures, so then yeah. they just give up. It's like no, you just keep going. You love doing this, so you keep doing it. And then uh, if you put yourself out there, eventually something will happen, and something else will happen. And before you know it, you are earning money doing what you love. Yeah, well, I got stacks of reject, rejection slips that I saved, and I was thinking uh-huh. of someday taking them. See, you know, when I first started out writing. And I, for years, I've been thinking of putting them all together and having them hard bound or something and putting them on my shelf. But uh, I haven't done that yet. But um, but after a while, if you just keep per- pursuing it and keep persisting, you know, um, if you're good, I mean, you got to be, you got to have the ability to write a book or, a, you know, act in a movie or a play or something. But if you've got the ability, if you've got the talent, then you hone it and you keep pursuing it. And put your best efforts into it, you know, um, something could very well happen. That's very true. And a lot of times the opportunities come out of the air. Like uh, uh, I I remember one time I was giving a lecture on metaphysics and uh, somebody in the audience asked me if I wanted to be in a play. So I'd never been in a play outside of grammar school uh, in my entire life, but she wanted me to play Samson. So you know, loving the peplum or the sword and sandals genres I do, where they have all these same names like Hercules, Samson, Ursus, Machiste. It's all the same. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah. How could I say no to that? So I did it, and uh, I enjoyed it a great uh, deal. And for a while, they're going to make it into a film, and they uh, they made some reels that they're sending out. In fact, they're still sending them out, so someday it might come to something. But even if it doesn't. Uh, I enjoyed doing that. It was a paid gig, and I got to be Samson. I got to cross something else off my bucket list, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun doing. Well, that's absolutely true. You know, there's an old expression, opportunities are never lost. They're just passed right. on to the next person. And I'll give you an example with me. Um, uh-huh. When I played in that rock band um, in the 60s, a friend of mine saw a notice on the bulletin board of the Musicians Union. We were, we were looking for a bass player, and he played the bass guitar too. And he called me up and he said, they're looking for a bass player. I don't want to bother with this. It's probably going to be a phony thing or something. So I went I went down there. I got the job, and our producer turned out to be Mike Nesmith of the Monkees. And, wow. and for two years, um, we were rock stars. You know, it, <laughs> But 
you know, I, I went for it. And, and I, those kind of things happen to me all the time. Coincidences and serendipitous things, you know, that come my way where most people might pass them by or blow them off or say, nah, it's probably not for real, you know, but I figure, uh, it might be. It might very well be for real, right. and the worst they can do is say no. You know, <laughs> so I I, tr- I try out for. I don't think I ever really let opportunity slip by me, and um, that's the way I've always operated. And that is an awesome thing. And I was a teenage movie maker as an example of how uh, these are your old amateur films, uh, I guess, before you made it. Uh, and here you are, you know, people know who you are now. So you have that and you could share that with them as well. Yeah, well, you know, I, I got a lot of note when I was making those amateur movies. I started when I was nine years old and wow. um, I started sending pictures in the famous Monsters magazine and Fantastic Monsters magazine. And they started running pictures of me and little stories and things. So I got to be really well-known among the fans as a amateur movie maker. And at the time, I thought I was the only person in the world that was doing this. I had no idea that people had been making amateur films since at least the 1930s. I, I just found that out many years later. But then I thought I was the only one. And, um, and there were no books or anything to tell you how to do it. There was one book written by Lon Chaney about makeup, but that was it. And um, so I had to figure out how to do all the things myself, how to make dinosaurs move, do invisible man effects, and, and rocket ships flying and all this. I just tried to figure it out. I would watch the movie and look, study it, and then, well, how did they do that? Well, maybe they did it this way. And sometimes I was right, sometimes I was wrong, but I was right quite a few times. And, um, you know, some and those and the effects worked in a crude way I, I'll admit <laughs> but the idea was there and, and that was your um, you were what that was your journey and you were learning oh it was a journey and if, if you watch the DVD I, we put a there's like an hour and 45 minute documentary on there where I just sit there and take you through that journey and you see how one thing led to another and how this led to that and you know you know why we had a camera in our house and all this and these were done on 16 millimeter they weren't eight eight millimeter movies so i could do things on 16 millimeter that other people could not do because 16 millimeter had sprocket holes on both sides and uh, i could you know reverse the fill i could do things backwards by just by (laughs) you would turn the camera upside down shoot your scene and then when you got it developed cut it out cut that scene out and reverse it and it would be right side up again, and um, uh-huh. the action would be backwards. You know, <laughs> I discovered all this stuff just by fooling around. And now you're in a position where you could share that journey and inspire other people to take it. Unfortunately, yeah. we're approaching the end of our journey today. Um, how can folks access your world, uh, Donald? How can they find out more about uh, what you've done, what you're doing? Uh, and uh, all the different uh, uh, portals into your creativity? The best thing to do is um, I have a website that you know, pretty much tells you where I came from and what I did. And all my credits are on there and pictures of me in high school and stuff like that. Uh, it's just my name, www.donaldfglute.com. That, uh, that'll teach you probably more than you ever want to know. And then there's a second website called 
Pecosborn.com. Pecosborn, P-E-C-O-S-B-O-R-N.com. And that'll tell you about all the new movies I've been making. And there's news sections on both. So if I'm going to be appearing at a convention or something, that'll probably be on there. Or if a new DVD or a book is coming out, that'll be on there. Um, so that would be the probably the best way. And there's also uh, email contact places, so they, they can reach me, too. I put a link to one of your sites, but I didn't put one to Pecosborn, so I will remedy that as soon as uh, we wrap up for today uh, so the folks who joined us on Facebook will be able to uh, access it. Donald, it is always a pleasure and a great honor to speak with you, and I'm looking forward to the time that we speak again. Uh, I wish you the greatest okay. yeah, call. yeah, I apologize for the mix-up on the time, but that's okay. I know it was 820. <laughs> we, we made it. We connected. That's the important thing. And that's the important thing. And uh, thanks to our listeners for listening in. Until next time, this is Donald and Hercules wishing you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.